You know, love is a word that is often found in our vocabulary. Um, I say all the time, I love my wife. You know, call me baby, see you later. Um, uh, I stole that one from my pastor in Santa Barbara. He does that all the time. It's awesome. But uh, I also love my kids. Uh, I love this church. I love what God's doing here. Um, I love my hobbies. I love surfing. You know, who surfing, good, awesome. Who loves Sunday naps? Yeah, okay, there we go. And of course, it goes without even mentioning how much we love food, especially if it's fried in oil or covered in sugar. And yet certainly, there has to be a proper order of our loves, right? Uh, Hopefully, you love your spouse more than deep fried food. Turn to your sweetie next to them and say that. Um, You know, you love your children more than naps, even though your children are the ones that drive you to naps. And then, of course, we just think about the fact that in our lives, there are greater loves and there are lesser loves. And this morning, as we're in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34, you can open your Bible there, Mark 12. Um, What we're going to hear today is the two greatest commandments. Now, as you can probably guess, they have to do with love. And and here's what I want to say before we dive today into the subject of love, which is that If you think that this morning you are going to get an all-encompassing, all-satisfying definition of love, some exhaustive teaching on the subject, then I am sorely going to disappoint you. Because you cannot, in a Sunday morning sermon, right, entirely express what love is. But I do know where you can get an all-encompassing, fully exhaustive teaching on the subject of love. And if you want to know a thing or two about love, I could point you in the right direction. It is found in God. And God has revealed himself through the scriptures. The Bible has been called God's love letters to us. And so if you want to know something about love, then you can find that in the person and the work of Jesus that is declared to us in the scriptures. Now, because God is love, you know, it's, it's his actual nature is love. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. And the big thing to realize right now is that love doesn't begin with us, Love isn't defined by us. Love begins with God, and love is defined by God. And so as we look into God's word together today, my prayer is going to be that we would know God's love, and we would be known by his love. And so, you see, the greatest way that God has shown his love to us is by sending Jesus Christ to this earth. If you're looking for a greater expression of love in this world, you will not find it. And so therefore today, as we look into God's word, no matter what place you find yourself today, whether you feel loved or not, I hope that today you'll see from God that he loves you with an unfailing love. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us as we get into God's word. Lord Jesus, we ask that today you would express your love to us fully, and and there's no greater way, Lord, that you can express that than for us to know what you did, Jesus, upon the cross. And the fact that the tomb is empty is the greatest declaration 
of your love for us. I pray, Lord, that our, with our hearts and with our minds and with our soul and with our strength today, we would be able to receive and give your love. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So in this chapter, Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been questioned by various groups of people. First by the Pharisees concerning government loyalty and taxes, and then by the Sadducees concerning the resurrection and life in heaven. And now Jesus is going to be questioned by a scribe about what is the greatest commandment of God. And this scribe wants to know this question because he has been watching as various groups of people have been coming to Jesus, as Jesus has been responding to each group of people with just the most perfect answers, right? The Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribe all came to Jesus with these questions and they all had various interests for why they were asking We know that some of them had ill intentions, that they wanted to snuff out the life of Jesus, but Jesus still in his grace was answering these people, and we found that as he answered, the people marveled at the answers that he gave, that Jesus spoke with such wisdom and authority when he opened his mouth. And look, it tells me as we've been looking at Jesus responding to the questions of his enemies, It tells me that no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, whatever group of people you might consider yourself to be part of, whatever questions you might have within your heart or mind, you can come to Jesus and you can ask him honest questions and you can expect to get honest answers. Now, you might come to Jesus with your question, and the answer you receive might not be what you want it to be. But I'll tell you, if you come to Jesus, you will get real answers. Now, what I've discovered about Jesus is that when I hear Jesus speak, I can't help but listen to his words. That they contain such power and such authority And for me, his words have become the standard of truth for my life. As I open this book, I believe that it is breathed out by God and is able to bring transformation into my life. And I can tell you with full confidence that if you hear Jesus's words, and if you seek to follow the words of Jesus, then your life will be transformed. Anybody can agree with that today here? Yes, I I look out upon you and I see lives that have been transformed because of the words of Jesus. And so let's look now at this interaction that happened between Jesus and this scribe, beginning in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, where it says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So first off, you might be wondering, well, what even is a scribe, this guy that came to Jesus? Well, scribes were the religious lawyers of Israel. They were the ones who had an expert knowledge of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the reason for this is that they were copyists of the law. They would hand transcribe copies of the Torah, and because of that, they became 
super skilled, right, in their knowledge of the scriptures. This particular scribe was also a Pharisee, and we learn that from Matthew's account of the same story. And this scribe was there that day as Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. And and the way that I see it play out in my mind is that the scribe was sort of standing back at a distance just as an observer. And he was hearing how Jesus was answering so well, and this was piquing his interest. He saw how Jesus was was just with wisdom, basically able to confound the wise. And so the scribe leans into the conversation. He gets involved. He jumps in to the conversation and asks Jesus that question that on the surface seems pretty simple, right? He said, which commandment is the most important of all? But what we have to realize that Part of the reason why the scribe was asking this question of which was the most important commandment was because in this question, he was trying to find out where Jesus landed as a rabbi. This was sort of a litmus test to find out whether Jesus was orthodox in his teaching. And the scribe knew that in the Torah, there were 613 known commandments, 248 of those commandments were positive commands, things that you were to do. And 365, one for every day, I guess, were negative commandments, things that you were to not do. And then, of course, we know the 10 commandments that were of great importance to the Jewish people. They were given to Moses on the tablets of stones. And so was the scribe asking this question about which is the greatest commandment? Was he trying to find out, you know, which one's the first one? Because The answer to that would have been, you shall have no other gods before me. That was the first of the Ten Commandments. But what the scribe was really looking for, and Jesus knew it, was that he wanted to know if you were to boil down all of the commandments of God and just have one commandment that you could obey, which one would it be? Which is the first commandment? Not chronologically, but the first in priority. And this was the question that would have divided Jewish teachers into their rivaling schools of thought. How Jesus answered this question would allow the scribe to place Jesus on the map. And so how does Jesus answer? Well, verse 29 to 30, we read his answer. It says, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus throws in a bonus at verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these So Jesus answers again, right, with such wisdom and excellence. And so let's unpack these words of Jesus. Because look, if Jesus said that these are the two greatest commandments, don't you think that we should become quite familiar with them? That we would examine our lives to see if we are actually living out these two commandments. And so Jesus gives that first commandment by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, which says, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And every Israelite knew this scripture. The reason why they would have known it is because they prayed this two times a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. This was known as a prayer that was called the Shema. And it was called the Shema because that is the first word of the command. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. So when it says, hear, O Israel, it's saying, Shema, O Israel. And we should stop right there because really that first word of the command is a command in and of itself, isn't it? God's first command for his people is to hear, to listen. Because hearing is one of the most fundamental practices of a spiritual life. You're doing it right now. You're sitting here listening as I speak the words of God from the Bible. You are sitting here listening, hearing the words of God. And when you hear the words of God, we learn from the New Testament that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17. The the only way you can have faith in God if you actually hear the words of God. So by you just simply being here today, listening to the word of God preached, you are growing in faith. That's amazing. You see, our first step in obedience to God's commandments actually starts with us just hearing them. And so what is it that God says? What does he want his people to hear? Well, he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so before we can obey God, before we can even live out this command, we have to hear him and we have to know him. And what is it that God wants us to know? He wants us to know this true statement about God, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Bible reveals that God is one. Theologians call this monotheism, meaning that the God of Israel is the one and only God who created heaven and earth, everything that we see, everything that we don't see. He created you and he created me and the person next to you. God created all things. And that first commandment in the 10 commandments is there shall be no other gods before him. He is the one God. Now, you might be wondering then how this all lines up with the truth that Jesus is God. Because here they were, these religious leaders who did believe that God was one, the Lord is one, and this was the whole thing that tripped them up is that how is it then that this man, Jesus, can be the one God? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they all believed that God had spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, that he he gave Moses the commandments through the law, that he led people into the promised land, and so much more that you read in what we call the Old Testament. But then there is this Lord that came in the flesh. How does that line up? And they were monotheistic. This, this is supposed to be one God, but how does this man, Jesus, who's standing there, 
as they're questioning him, how does he fit in with being this one God? And this is what we believe as followers of Jesus. As Christians, we are monotheistic. (laughs) We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. And we discover in the scriptures this idea called the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is not a word that you're going to find in your Bible. You can look for it. It's not there. It is a theological term, but, but the idea of the Trinity is woven throughout the fabric of scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, you will see that God is one, and yet he has revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is one God who consists in three persons making up this triune Godhead. And and the fact that this God is so holy and one, that the fact that there can be three persons that are separate and distinct, and yet they maintain such a unity that the truth, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is and always will be true. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is God. And this is the first part of the great commandment that Jesus gives, which is to love God. And by saying this, he's saying, love me. And we know that they were not loving Jesus at that moment. Now, continue to listen. Continue to listen to these words that Jesus speaks, that they're coming from the very mouth of God. Because in verse 30, it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So this is the first commandment, the greatest commandment that's given to mankind, which is to love. Now, we experience love on all kinds of levels, right? We can, in our English language, say love, and you don't know whether you're referring to chocolate cake or, you know, your spouse. (laughs) Uh, Because we don't have variations of the kinds of words that the Greek language had. In the Greek language, you had really four types of love that were distinguishable. And the love that Jesus is referring to here, which you've probably heard and are quite familiar with, is the word agape. And agape is a word for love used in the scriptures that speaks of God's covenant love with his people, that it is a love that is sacrificial in giving. We read, for instance, in John 3.16, that God so agaped the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And we know, right, that the love that Jesus demonstrated at the cross was an agape love. It is a love that is to be received from him, and then it is a love that's to be given back to him. And this love, agape, as I said at the start, it is an all-satisfying, all-encompassing kind of love. Meaning that when God calls us to love him back, which is our moral duty, our moral responsibility to love God, but what God's asking us is that we would love him with our all, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. The point is, is that there should be nothing that is unsurrendered to God in your life. God asks for your whole life, and he asks that we would love him within our, our entire being, and right? Th- this is a whole life-long pursuit. 
if you think you've achieved this, you, you haven't. <laughs> but every day we are to love God with these aspects of our being. Let's look at each one. First, the heart. That comes from the word cardia. The heart was seen as like the control center, the operating system of the human being, meaning that all of the decisions that you make, all of your will is meant to be in connection to God. And we know that the natural heart of man, the fallen heart of man, is deceitfully wicked who can know it. But a redeemed heart and a surrendered heart to God is soft and yielded to God's control. He takes out our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh is a promise of the new covenant. And then we're to love God with our soul. This is the word suke. And the soul was seen as the seat of feelings, desires, and affections, meaning that all that dwells within you is to be awakened with affection for God. The word soul actually comes from this idea of breath. Just as you would take a breath in, and as that breath fills your entire cavity, you are to breathe in God. And in the same way as you exhale, it's meant to be that all of your soul is meant to breathe out in praise for God. So all that's within you, all of your soul is meant to be for God. Then we're to love God with our minds, which is the word dinoia. And the mind is where we have all the faculties of our understanding. It obviously includes that organ in your cranium called the brain, but it goes much more beyond just a physical organ. It goes into all of the thoughts, all of the intentions that you have for God. So the question is, do you think about God? Do you use your mind to think deeply about your Creator? because our minds are meant to love God. Then we're to love God with strength. This is the word iskis, which speaks of our physical ability and might. You know, I'm sure Bill Holmes can probably still bench press more than me. So, you know, I, I don't know if I can particularly consider myself to be someone of great physical strength. Maybe you are a really strong person out there, but whatever physical capacity you have, whether you consider yourself to be a strong person or a weak person, it doesn't matter. The strength, all of the energy within you is meant to be given to God in love. That we would serve God with our hands. That we would walk with God all the days of our life with all the strength that we have. Now, what's interesting about this is that there's a tendency in our lives that we rely upon ourselves in these areas. Because you have the ability to live a pretty good life with the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength that you have. You can get along pretty fine in life, just in yourself. You can trust in your own heart and lean on your own understanding you can lift up your soul to all sorts of things to satisfy it. You can use your mind to rationally process your way through life, and you can use your strength to just carry yourself along. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You don't need anybody's help. You're strong enough to carry on your own. But we weren't created for that. We were created for God. Your heart was made to love God. 
your mind was made to know him, your soul was made to worship him, and your strength was made to serve him. And so with all that you are, are you loving God? You have to ask yourself this question. Jesus is simply asking you today. He's saying, do you love me with all that you are? Because Jesus has loved you with all that he is. And so will you love him with all that you are? That is the first and the greatest commandment to mankind. Good? And the second commandment is like it. Verse 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In the second commandment, Jesus also quotes the law from the Torah. Leviticus 19.18 says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In Jesus' other accounts, he also gives what is called the golden rule. Maybe you've heard of that. What's, what's the golden rule? That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Essentially, Jesus said, treat others as you want to be treated. How many of you guys heard that ethical principle? It comes from Jesus. And we would actually solve many issues in the world if we simply lived by that law. And yet, we don't always obey that command. We don't always love our neighbor. But can I just say, if you consider yourself to be one who is loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that you can also today love your neighbor as yourself, and you should. There's a really convicting verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, which says, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Whew. Meaning that if you love God, there will be a, a mark, an, an identification with that. There will be an overflow of love for your neighbor. Meaning that if, if you're going around being hateful toward people, or being rude toward people, or just being a miserable person for others to be around, then your love for God should be put into question is what 1 John 4.20 is saying. So love your neighbor, and, and who is our neighbor, right? When Jesus told this same teaching in Luke's account, chapter 10, um, there was a scribe there, and when Jesus said, you know, love your neighbor, he, he tried getting off the hook. He said, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> right? And Jesus told this parable. That's where we get the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this parable goes that there was a man who was traveling upon a road, and he had been beaten down and robbed and left for dead. And all these people were passing by. Everybody that you would have expected to stop and care for this man, they weren't stopping. They weren't caring for this man until finally 
a Samaritan comes along. And, and a Samaritan was, uh, in that time, an enemy of Jews. They, they were just kind of thought as fuel for the fires of hell. And, and a Samaritan comes along, and he helps this man. He tends to his wounds, and he cares for him. In fact, he takes him, and he puts him up in a hotel, and he pays the innkeeper whatever it was, and he said, let him stay here, let him do whatever he needs to do, and when I'm traveling back by, I'll cover the tab. And Jesus said, this Samaritan was the one who was loving his neighbor. And so, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone that God has put in your path that has a need. Anybody that God puts in your path that has a need, even if it is your enemy. Because what has God done for you? I know for me that when I was beaten down in my sin and left for dead by the devil, God came and he tended to my wounds. Not only that, but he prepared a dwelling place for me and he paid it in full. He paid all the expenses so that I would be made well and be restored. So loving your neighbor is putting the interest of others over your own, even if it comes at a cost to you. See, loving our neighbor isn't always easy, especially at the times when it comes at a cost to us. And, and sometimes, as I said, loving your neighbor means loving your enemy. It means that because we have been forgiven, we too must forgive and love even the unlovable, to love those who even have not loved you. Loving your neighbor is not just loving those who are like you or those that you can get something from. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you. And then in 6.32, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But that is not what we are. We are the people of God, and so loving our neighbor is going to require something of us because love that we express is agape. It is self-sacrificing. It is considering the needs of others as greater than our very own needs. And so Jesus went to great lengths to show us that we ought to love our neighbor. Now, these are the two greatest commandments. We've just covered them. We are to love God and love others. That is the sum of life. And if I can summarize it like this, maybe this is a helpful way for you to think about, which is that the first commandment has to do with our vertical relationship. How are you doing on that vertical plane? How are you loving God? What is your relationship to Jesus? But then there is also a horizontal plane where we have these relationships around us. And how are you loving the people that God has put around you? And I believe that there is a proper order to these loves. See, I believe that there has to first come that vertical relationship before you can be at all effective in the horizontal relationships. You might say this, you know, Daniel, I hear what you're saying, love God and love people, but right now I am having a really hard time even loving my spouse. And I would ask the question, is God at the center of your relationship? 
Are you putting God in priority above all else? You might say, I'm having a hard time being patient with people. Well, love is patience, defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you're only going to learn true patience if you understand how patient God has been with you. Has, has God been patient with you? Then how we ought to express his patience to others. You might say, I'm having a hard time keeping friends. Friendships are really hard for me. Well, how has Jesus been a friend to you? He's my best friend. He's the greatest friend I have ever known. And will you seek to be the kind of friend to people that Jesus has been to you? See, sometimes we can love God and still have a hard time loving the people around us. But I'm going to tell you guys, if we have any shot at loving the people that are around us, we have to make the love that we have for God central and priority. Here's another one that people say a lot. I'm having a hard time loving myself. There seems to be this great message today, right, that says love yourself, that you can't really love other people until you're loving yourself. Some people will even say you can't really fully love God until you love yourself. Now, I have no problem with self-love. Honestly, I don't. I think you should love yourself. But my idea of self-love is very, very far from selfish love. I think the world has this great idea when it talks about self-love that really boils down to a selfish love. And so in my life, I've used this acronym. And I'm not super big on acronyms, but this is one that's just sort of stuck with me, which is the acronym for joy. That if you want to have joy in your life, you have to have it in its proper order. Joy, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Jesus first, others second, and then loving myself can come third. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he say that, guys? The reason why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself is because he knows that we don't have a hard time loving ourselves. We're all super good at that. Nobody ever hated their own flesh. We love ourselves. And often it's that our issues stem from the fact that we love ourselves too much. That we love ourselves at the expense of others and we love ourselves at the expense of God. We have it flipped. We got like Y-O-J and whatever that says. Yoj, I don't know. It's joy, guys. If we want joy in our lives, it has to be Jesus first, others second, yourself last. I say all this because as a pastor and as a church, I want to see us with so much love in this church. I want you to be able to walk into this place and know God and be known by him. What that means is that you would experience tangibly the love that is expressed through God and through his people. And if we, again, have any shot as a people of God at loving well, we have to love Jesus, love others, and then ourselves. We have to have it in that proper order if we want to see real transformation in our lives. And so, didn't Jesus answer so well in all these things? Do you think so? 
I mean, even if you were to take for a second, take and step back, I know many of you guys here have a personal relationship with Jesus, but take a step back. Even if you didn't know Jesus, what greater ethical teaching could you find on this planet? What greater way could you find good and justice that would come into this world that if we just got this right? But that's the problem is that we've never gotten this right because of sin. Sin has this all flipped around. And it's because of sin that we do not love God and we do not love others. And the scribe was able to answer back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've answered so well Verse 32 to 33, he said, And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What the scribe is saying here is, Jesus, I agree with you. You nailed it. I know where to put you on the map. You're a good teacher, Jesus. Your whole system of the law, blessings and curses and atonement, it all had to do with love. Yeah, Jesus, amen. But verse 34, look at what Jesus said. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. When he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God, that had me thinking a lot this week. Because I think a lot could be said about this. We can totally be like the scribe where we agree. Yeah, love God, love people. Yes, amen. But what was this man missing? Because when he says, you are not far from the kingdom, means that he was not in the kingdom. What would get this man over the threshold to get him into the kingdom of God? He had to go through the king. The kingdom is the king's domain. And to come into the kingdom of God, you need to know King Jesus. And this scribe was staring Jesus right in the face, but he missed the fact that this was God incarnate who came to take away the sins of the world. And he just thought that it was still about rule keeping. Love God, love people, and I'll be good. He probably did a pretty good job his whole life at keeping the law, but this is the purpose of the law. It was a tutor to bring us to Christ. The whole purpose of the law was to reveal sin in you. Listen, as Christians, we don't even live by these first two commandments. We don't live by love God and love others. We live by the grace of Jesus because we have not always loved God and we have not always loved others. And we have to come to understand that there is only one person in this world who has ever loved God and loved people perfectly and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And he came to take the law that was dangling over our heads and demanding the requirement that you would love God and love people. And he said, I know you will never be able to do that like I've done that. So that's why I'm going to the cross. 
That's why I'm gonna hang upon a tree and take the curse of man. That's why I'm gonna be raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, and I'll go to be back with the Father, and I will send the Spirit to be with you because you cannot live this without the power of God. You need the Holy Spirit of God if you wanna love God and love people. You can't do it in your own mind, heart, soul, and strength. The Holy Spirit has to come and renew your mind. The Holy Spirit has to come and and take out your heart of stone and your heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit needs to be the might and the power by which you do all those things. You can't do this by yourself. You need God. And and if, if we think that this is just going out like, check, check, love God, love people, I'm good, but you're doing it in your own strength. You, you're not far from the kingdom of God, but you're not in the kingdom of God. To be in the kingdom of God is to receive the atoning sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross and the power of his Holy Spirit that will enable you to actually love God and love others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the power of your gospel. It just flips it up all on its head. So Lord, flip it, Lord. I pray we would repent. Refresh us and renew us as we would repent because we have not loved you and we have not loved others. God, we probably just need to right now stop thinking about how we're doing with regards to love. So often I get consumed looking inward and in myself, where and how am I loving? We all just need to stop right now doing that. And we need to get our eyes on Jesus right now as we worship and as we take communion. And think about your love, Jesus. Your agape love that was demonstrated best at the cross and the empty tomb. And as we dwell upon that love, then our love will become like that which we've always desired it to be. And so, Lord, would you do that work among us by your Holy Spirit today? We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.